So typically we're looking for about 45% to come from yearly cash flow and, and 50, 55% to come from the profit on the back end from us doing the improvements, right, to, to capitalize on the exit. Now, that's the majority. Let's say that 95% of our opportunities. So that's going to be an investor. There's going to be a lot of investors that like that because they get some cap, they get some cash flow, they can get depreciation benefits, and then they can get a profit, right? You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria. Widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We love equity real estate listeners. Thank you guys for being on today. As always, I have a very special guest that I want to share with you. So if you're interested in multifamily, you're interested in scaling your business, doing big things, I have Jason Yerusi on today. And if you don't know who Jason Yerusi is, uh, you need to come out from up under a rock. So Jason hails from the East Coast, from New Jersey, but now resides in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. And he's a multifamily syndicator who have owned over 1,500 units right now across the country. He raises capital, he finds and acquires multifamily buildings, and they reposition them so they can maximize the equity and maximize the efficiency of each unit. So Jason, man, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Marcus. Great to be here. Great, great. So I didn't get a chance, but how how much, uh, how many millions in units do you guys have under management? Sure. So we've actually just put up to about the 2,000 unit mark. And predominantly, we're somewhere between about the 230 to 250 million. We have a, a development coming up that's going to add to that capacity that will be starting in Q2 of next year. Mainly, we are targeted between Louisville, Nashville, and Atlanta, which was one of the driving forces for us to move down to this area. But we've owned properties now in, up in New Jersey, Eastern PA, Austin, Texas, Little Rock, Arkansas, and then predominantly most of our assets are between the thoroughway from Louisville through through Nashville into Atlanta. Okay, so let's go back to your origin story, how you got started. I'm familiar, but I want you to just bring the listeners up to speed, man. So what did you do pre-real estate? Sure. It was a very traditional route where my wife and I met as bartenders. And so we go way back and we met in New York City working as bartenders. We were working at a very, very busy, very well-known place called the Frying Pan. And we helped that place from going just a little mom and pop shop. Both of us ended up running the, the show over there and we increased the revenue about 25 times. Wow. And we, we learned a lot of lessons there. There was an owner who was just really open to just try and experiment and try new things, just make the business better and empower people like ourselves to go out there and take action to find ways. However, it, it just kept occurring to us that we were working in a service business, right? Just like many things that you have to do to get, right? Which is fine for many environments, but as Pili and I, funny enough, we, we met early on. It took us 10 years to become, you know, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you call it. And when we were thinking about starting a family, we wanted to just find a way to get back our time. Working to four in the morning, five in the morning was not going to be conducive to starting a family, right? Cool. So at that time, Hurricane Sandy happened out in New Jersey and decimated a lot of the East Coast. My dad has a construction business, and that business has always done these heavy construction projects that have been targeted at flood projects, flood zone projects. Okay. So his business doing 12 or 13 projects a year goes to doing, uh, has a just say a thousand calls overnight, every day. Wow. 
because of all this. My brother's working for me at the time, Peely, who's now my girlfriend, right? We move out to New Jersey to help dad. Great experience. It never was my intention to work in the business. It wasn't a driving part, but it was great to help dad. But okay. again, we found ourselves in an environment here where we were doing, right, a service business where you have to go out there to do the work to get it. And here we are, Peely's pregnant with our first child, and we are having less time than we did when we were bartending because of just how busy it is. Right, so right. 25 hours in the day, eight days in a week, we could have used them. So turn around, we said, there has to be something that can help us set the narrative to be able to control our day so we can pick what we do in our day. And it led us into real estate, right? It had always been something in our mind. We just didn't know what was available. And finding podcasts like this, we were able to discover the opportunity that, that exists with real estate. However, we, we took the path we thought was logical at the time. Peely, pregnant, right, went out and got a real estate license. And we started flipping homes and started wholesaling Airbnbs. And so here we are, very busy, helping dad with the struggle yep. business. And then lo and behold, we start doing all these other activities for which we don't have any more time. So the, the time we're trying to get back is fleeting, going away from where we mm -hmm. want to go. So we said, whoa, something's wrong here. And it took Peely, now pregnant with our, with our second kiddo, to meet someone who was doing out-of-state rentals and was basically finding almost turnkey rentals, right? That's what they were looking okay. for. We said, that makes sense. So we started buying properties that weren't turnkey, but were basically in disrepair, putting together teams to fix up these properties. But instead of doing a single family home, we were doing twos and threes and fours. And here we are getting back to our management days of being able to control the aspect of how the project right. runs, putting together property to the contractors, property managers, getting them leased out and lo and behold, without us actively doing something, what happens? Checks start showing up. Yep, yep. So here we go, we're on the right path. However, the, when you look at the overall evolution, the scalability of getting to where we want to be was going to be just overcome. So it was going to be just a monumental task to try and have all these ones and twos just all over, all mm -hmm. over the place and trying to have some kind of economies of scale. So I said, what else is there? And I came upon someone who was buying apartment buildings, larger apartment buildings. And that was that aha moment where I said, whoa, that, that is exactly the entire piece of the puzzle. Because for me, we've always broken it down to get back to our restaurant days. You know, I opened bars, opened some breweries, opened and sold a brewery, right? I had done a lot of things in New York City. And what I learned from that is that small is not necessarily safer, right? If you have exactly. a 12 seat restaurant or a 100 seat restaurant, well, the 12 seat restaurant, dinner is only two hours long in both spots. So I can't right. like I return 12 seats 10 times in two hours, right? So when you look at that, the same thing with the apartment building. There were so many times of scale where I could hire a staff and I could look at how the building was not performing, whether it be on the revenue side or the expense side. And that made all the sense. So we doubled in, sold up the smaller properties, started learning from other people how they were doing effectively, why they were choosing to invest where they were investing, how they were structuring it. Because most people think, and this is from an active investor or a passive investor, that these opportunities don't exist for us because maybe they're only for REITs or large institutions. Right, right. So doubled in, that was back in 2016 and took us a couple months and we were able to acquire from those three and four units a 94 unit in May of 2017. And that was in Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. And so wait, wait. Okay, so wait, Jason, we got the start. We got the 94 unit. I don't want to run off too far because you, you gave us a lot right there. So one of the things that I want to touch on is your father has a successful business that he's running and- most fathers look at their son and they're like, okay, well, I'm building something here. Why don't you build with me? So how did that conversation go? And why didn't you continue to work with dad and you and your brother run that? You know, it, you have a choice in, in life where, where you want dad to be successful, but you also, I, we come from a, a family where all Italians, right? So there's always conflict in all these points. And, yep. and we've always had the disruption where, even if there's an easier path, the path that's always been done seems to be the path that gets followed. Yep. And you, you make a choice where happiness becomes the evolution factor. So if we're going to work in a business where we're, we're constantly fighting or battling over points, which, which we both see to be the right way, even if it's being and working in a direction that's making money, it's not the best choice for the family. And funny enough, my dad's now, you know, coming up where they're going to be able to retire. He will they come, the investor come 
help me with what I'm doing here because it's now he's seen what I'm doing because he has a very specialized business and with specialization comes very limited limits yep. for Absolutely. him to take himself out of the business. Because when we're lifting a house that says a hundred ton house, the room for error is zero, right? There, there is no mm -hmm. error, right? It, it's like, it could be life or death. It could be collapse. It could be real or detrimental destruction of a, of a whole, right? Someone's most precious asset. Correct. Right. So when you think of that, it's very hard to replace yourself in that kind of business. And so you get to a point where there are certain pluses and certain minuses to a family business. And one of the hardest parts is that we each may have a different way, both may be right, and that can create tension. And on the other front, when you have a family business that everyone's in there, there's no shut off, just like you know, in a point, yeah. right? You're yeah. at business or you're at home, you're still working because everybody's involved in business. And you have to make a point to, to separate that. And we've done our best even within where and now to look for ways that we could create better things, right? Create, take these apartment buildings and make these better places to live and show our kids why we're doing that, right? Because they're around us now, especially now when we live in a town where we have a couple of buildings, we're building a couple of things that they see things start to mm -hmm. be better, right? So we can start to show them is that we're doing this because we choose to, not because we have to, right, right? right. And now when you create impact where you buy a building that looks horrible, it's not, it hasn't well-maintained the people there are living there, but they're not happy to be there. And then within you know six months or a year, you can turn it around, make it look much better. You start seeing kids playing outside, you know, no matter what their age. You know, my kids now are going to be four, six, and eight. But you know, at the time, they they still see it. They they you can mm -hmm. still see something that that just looks brighter, looks happier. Right. right? They, overall, right. Feel, they get that feel right. And so a lot of this is that. I've seen the struggle that can come from small businesses and my dad's worked very hard to get where he is, but we do have to pick our own path and yep. it's not going to make the family better. Then that's the first point to help you decide that decision. And the reason, reason why I touch on that is because I too, we have a family business. I'm actually here right now trying to do some, do some help with the family business. And that was one of the things that I struggled with was, you know, do you stay with the family business and push that family business forward? Or do you follow your passion and do exactly what you want to do and be happy at it? So I found that happy medium. So, and I, I see that, that you did as well. So man, kudos to you for that, because it's really not, it's not easy to do that because you are the you're the outlier, you know, why do Jason want to go and do something different? We're yeah. building something here, you know? So I, I totally get it. So I just wanted to see how, how you had to deal with that and how you overcame that. And I, I appreciate the perspective and you're right. It's not easy, right? Because, because it's something that's around you all when you're growing up. It, it just, you, you, the, the family business is a different world and then people love to, to say, I want to be an entrepreneur. And there's a ton of massively effective and, and awesome things you can do as an entrepreneur. But you do want to understand that you control your clock, yeah. right? It's not a nine to five where it's not at five o'clock, you go home and maybe you'll see tomorrow after weekend and you can just shut off, right? Everything everything happens here in business that it, it's it's a 24 seven thing. And you have to set your boundaries. And the hardest thing to do with the family business is to set those boundaries. Right? boundaries. Something goes well or something goes bad, it affects the family outside of the, and that's at work. It affects the family in, in, in work and in life. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you often find yourself, you know, even just small talk, just chatter. It's always chatter about the business, always a chatter about what's what we have to do next or something like that. So, Absolutely. no, I completely, I completely get it. So, so tell me, so you and your wife, you guys were running these restaurants in New York. She decided to get her real estate license. And I know you said that you guys were finding these small little single families. So tell us about that first time you picked up that single family. And what was that light, light switch that just flicked on and said, you know what, this is something that we need to do and we need to scale it even further. You know, so funny enough, we, we were doing flips and when we started with the flips, we started to do flood zone properties and we were taking them and we were like trying to do the most involved project in the world, which had a huge profit, right? So we were taking these little bungalows, lifting them up two stories in the, in the air and putting a garage underneath, adding a new first story and flip-flopping footprint. And we had a massive opportunity to make profit. 
However, what happened in New Jersey that was very difficult when the storm happened, all these companies that would, you know, all these towns that would have like, you know, like 30 or 50 permits a year were now having 500, 5,000. So they were completely overwhelmed. And the same thing happened to the utility companies. So a project that could take the work, the work itself could take two months, was taking 11 months because you couldn't get utilities shut off and shut on. You couldn't get a permit out, you couldn't get inspections. So we realized very quickly that regardless of what we could control, there were so many elements that we couldn't control. And so we started looking for rentals because rentals out of state, there was a number of different things that we could control in areas we invest in, right? We could also control the easy flow of landlord-friendly states. And so when we got that first opportunity out there, our market selection, a lot of things I know today, we were just basically using it as field, right? Okay, I see this area, like the postman's live the next door, like the, the schools look nice, there's some nice restaurants around, there's a Home Depot around. I was like, okay, so this looks like an area that we want to go after. And we were looking at the properties themselves of just, okay, this property, do I understand how to set up a team to be able to put that property? So that was that right. first part for us just to look in another area. But what, what it really did is it gave us the, the courage, I'd say, or the proof of concept to say, okay, I can do this a thousand miles away, right? I can okay. understand how to do this. So when we started to evolve into bigger properties, we had that food track where we could say, okay, well, now we're going to look for, you know, a metropolitan statistical area that's 250,000 people. We're going to look for job growth. We're going to look for population growth. We're going to look for job diversity. We're going to look for men. We're from the states. We're going to look for supply and demand where new construction elements are not going to push push over the edge of mm -hmm. the amount of supply coming on. We're going to look for you know high occupancy rates. We're going to look for markets that are very heavily saturated with with B and C assets or workforce housing assets, right? And so we started to look for in those areas. And so when we started to do that, we, we found Louisville, Kentucky, but. We didn't actually invest all of Louisville. We got very specific and that helped okay. us get to where we wanted. So we just started investing in the Southeast and South Central Louisville. We didn't invest in the East and then invest downtown and then invest in the Southwest and invest in the West. We picked those areas because it fit all the pieces of the puzzle we wanted for us to go out there and find, we were looking for 50 to 100 units, right? At the time, okay. built between 1970 and 2000, really between about two and $6 million. And how it came to that price point is that we had someone suggest to us when we were we do something called syndication, where you basically mm -hmm. pool funds, pool capital between ourselves and others who can buy these larger properties together to get the economy to scale, right? We had a friend who told us, you need to get out there in front of your network and tell them what you're doing now. Because there's the, there's the statement that you find a good deal, the money will come. Well, maybe it will, but you have the time. And when I do that, I also need that person's money. I'm not trying to give them an opportunity. I say, hey, I got this opportunity. I need your money now. So we got in front of people with basically a representation of what I just said. We're going to find a 50 to 100 unit deal in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, priced around like $5 million. And we're going to put debt on it. And we're going to start to have this kind of return. So that's going to be our goal, okay. our mile marker, what we're going to look for. And we're going to do that by raising capital from people like you. And here's why we love multifamily. So we started going out to our friends and family, right? Easiest access, plus most forgivable, yep. and they're going to be most mm -hmm. honest. But we started telling them what we were doing and why we're so excited about it. Because remember, if they knew us from the bar world, construction world, brewery. They knew us from all these other things. They knew we had shown up and taken action. Right, right. They didn't know us at all in the multifamily space. And again, okay. talking back to them, you know, maybe they had no idea that this was even available. We continue to have those conversations. And so talking to them, we started to tell them about how they could have cash flow, appreciation, tax advantages, depreciation, all these different things that come from, from real estate and why multifamily makes the most sense. And what so, that allowed us to do is get a bunch of people to soft commit or be interested, right? So when mm -hmm. we knew hey, we could potentially raise about a million dollars of people that would be interested in these projects and made us going out to offer on these apartment buildings a lot easier because we weren't guessing if we could raise the capital. Right, right. You had the money in hand, basically. So was that, was that and I don't want to use the word pitch because I don't like the word pitch, but was that commitment from the family and friends, you explaining that to them, was that a hard ask or... Was it just kind of in passing or did you pull the family and friends together and say, hey, you know what? I want to talk to you guys about multifamily. It, I actually did that. So what I did is I made a list of everybody I could think of and I didn't, you know, I didn't filter it. 
right? I like you never know who's the guy walking around in overalls with like a straw hat and right. a million dollars, right? I just wrote everything down, and you know we're we love what we're doing, we're excited about it. So we just started telling, hey, listen, I'm doing this now. I'd love to talk to you to tell you about it and what the opportunity could be. Do you want to talk for 10, 15 minutes? And you get a lot of people. Say you write 100 people down, and you get 50 people on the list. And now you start having those conversations to tell them and then also ask them if they're investing or what are their goals, right? Because you want to learn from them, how can we potentially help them, right? Because not I, I may not be able to help them, right? If they're looking for a very short-term, two-month two round turnaround, that's not the right deal for them, right? So mm -hmm. we want to talk to them to see if this can be an opportunity that can be beneficial for them. Because there's a lot of people where these are great properties, great investments for them. So we started telling them what we're looking to do. And then we would ask them, you know, is this something you would be interested to invest in? And if they say yes, okay, I'm thinking about 25,000, 50,000, right? And then you start making a list of warm people on your list. Okay. But the thing when we found the 94 unit, we were able to just go back to people and just say, hey, listen, remember that property I showed you, like the replica of what we're gonna find, when we have found it, here it is in Louisville, just like we said, same kind of returns. And so we, I think we raised like 700,000 or something on that one. Okay. We, what we did in a day, because we had spent the prior months talking to investors and just letting them know, because that's a lot easier than, than the day we, we imagine we get the deal under contract. And then I have to go back to all those investors and say, hey, listen, so I'm doing this thing now. It's called multifamily investing. You use syndication. Right. Can I have your money today? Because I need to close in 45 days. Like that's not fair to them. Right, right. And it also puts them on the spot. So you're going to get a lot more no's, right? Because you're going to get 50-50 because people are just, I don't know. what, what I don't know. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you said, a, a confused mind says no. So if they come to right. me and they're like, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. So no, I'll, I'll pass. So, so, so it sounds like there is two criterias that you're looking for. You're looking for the, the asset criteria, and then you're looking for the capital partner criteria. And you're just marrying those two together correct because when you look at a property let's talk like majority of our investments we look for a mix of, of cash flow right in place cash flow and the potential from the profit so typically we're looking for about 45 percent to come from yearly cash flow and and 50 55 percent to come from the profit on the back end from us doing the improvements right to, to capitalize on the exit now, that's the majority. Let's say that's 95% of our opportunities. So that's going to be an investor. There's going to be a lot of investors that like that because they get some cap, they get some cash flow, they can get depreciation benefits, and then they can get a profit, right? So that's one type of investor who may be trying to you know, build passive income to replace their expenses or to add to their current income, right? Or whatever's that case. Then we have another 5% of development projects, right? So for two years, there's going to be no cash flow at all, but you're going to have mm -hmm. a much better opportunity to have a bigger upside potential profit based on building a brand new asset that has more viability, right? In an area that needs that asset. That's going to be a whole nother type of investor. If there's an investor today that's trying to replace their expenses, right? By having enough so they can find their financial freedom today, then we don't, we don't want them to come into development because it's not going to help them to their goal because it's going to be two gotcha. years until you get there. Right. So you want to make sure you can start putting your audiences for your investors into pools so you can speak to them correctly for things that are going to benefit them for their future. OK, so let's do this, Jason. And this wasn't on our we this is not scripted. This is not planned. Love so it. if I was an investor and let's just say you heard that I had, you know, one hundred thousand dollars, one hundred fifty thousand dollars sitting around, you know, that's in just a money market account. Kind of give me the spiel or kind of talk to me about how you would get me into your fund. Sure. So what we do first is that we'll have you schedule a call with us. Because what we want to do is we want to get a lot of the, you know, like check mark questions out of the way. So are you a U.S. citizen? Are you an accredited investor? Have you invested in syndication before, right? How soon are you trying to look to invest? Like, I, I don't want to waste time with those because like those are just check the box questions. We can have you come into there. But what is going to be here is, is going to be a question for you, Marcus, to say, you know, really appreciate your time today for sitting here. I'd love to talk about anything that you want to make sure we target. Before we do, is there any questions you have about myself, the company, or anything in terms of multifamily syndication you'd like to ask out of the gate? Okay. And we let you take the time 
to ask because maybe you have one specific question, which is the main thing. I don't want to waste your time for 20 minutes talking about all kinds of elements of multi-family if you already have it and you want to speak to one point. And then my question will come to the stock market is that what have you seen for the advantages or what, what are the takeaways that, that have been very beneficial for you in the stock market and what drew you to want to have a conversation today? Gotcha. And is there anything for you from multifamily side that you think can be really beneficial to you? Okay. It's going to be more not me pitching you on anything. I need to know how I can potentially help you. Because if you come back and say, you know, the stock market, it, it's been good to me, but, but in some years it's bad, right? No control. Right. If Apple, you know, has, has a bad quarterly earnings here and, and it, it sinks down, it's like I can call them up and say, hey, guys, you know, like what, what's going on? What's here? going on? Right. right. What's going on? And the cool thing about real estate is real estate's a tangible asset. Right. And so at any point, it's going to have value in the asset itself, in the land. It's going to have tangible value. Now, when you think about real estate, which is different, and especially multifamily, is that you have the ability to get cash flow, right? The tenants come in, they pay the rent every month, that's going to cover our expenses, some of our mortgage, and we'll be you know, covered on our mortgage, and then we'll be cash flow after the fact. When you think about that, there's also the ability to get appreciation. We're going to choose markets that we hope will have upside potential over the future, right? That they're going to grow. And so some markets will grow more than others. But there's also the ability that we make improvements, right? Just like you do a flip, right? You you, you go and make improvements in the property. And that forces for the appreciation because right. it gives us the ability to make more income and hopefully control or limit the expenses. Then we have the tax advantages that are afforded by, by real estate and the ability to force depreciation forward using an accelerated depreciation thing called cost segregation. And this can be really beneficial for you because it can help you offset some of your tax liabilities because although the property may be performing, we may be able to have a, a, a basically a paper loss that we can pass on to our investors to help them offset their tax exposure for the near term, right? And so we have a lot of investors who come in because that's one of the biggest elements. Right, right. That almost supersedes it because they're able to save some of the money that they would pay for taxes mm -hmm. they're making cash. Then we have the opportunity to get, of course, the profit. And then there's the diversification element. I can diversify across markets. I can diversify across different asset types, right? I can diversify a lot of ways where I don't get stuck in point here where I might be pigeonholed, where you're into an investment gotcha. and an investment is sunk by the market. So there's a lot of opportunities for multifamily housing to be a very beneficial tool for you when I can understand what it is that can help to serve you toward your future goals. Okay. So perfect. So it's a lot of open-ended questions and a lot of education, basically educating the investor why multifamily is a benefit for them. Like you said, those different, those four different quadrants, you know, of depreciation, appreciation, you know, the profit and the tax benefits and everything like that for them. You don't want to complicate it because it, it, it really can serve as that very few times, because I, I know people that will come in, especially like in our mastermind, they'll be worried that an investor is going to get on and like hammer them about like internal rate of return. And I'll be like, Barely anybody understands. That. <laughs> exactly. I don't want to talk to that today because you're just going to confuse people, right? right? Because it's a very it's a metric that very few, few people really target on. They may want to know, okay, if I give you a dollar, how much I get back? Exactly. Why are you investing a thousand miles away? Or who's going to manage this property? Or tell me how does it split? Like, do I have to do anything? Am I going to have to show up and like change toilets if I invest with you? Right? They may want to. Talk to that so they can get a better sense of what you're doing so they can see if this fits in their arena very few times you're going to say okay what's over this course at this point you're like what's going to be the irr right and it's right. like waterfall these hurdles you i'm happy to speak to that with any and all investors but if i have 100 talks i may get three that want to go down that that road right the rest have a lot of questions so they can educate themselves so they can make a better decision if this is going to fit for them and their mm -hmm. investment style yeah, because a lot of a lot of investors are looking for that security. And like you said, they're looking for that diversification. So they don't want to have all their eggs in one basket. And as long as you can show them how you can diversify those assets for them, then they're they're happy. Like you said, IRR is not going to come up in many conversations, <laughs> you know. 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's good. So let's take a brief break. Jason will come back and we'll talk about how you guys are finding some of these assets and what are you doing, you know, in order to get that LOI in, in front of the in front of the owners. So let's have a brief break. We'll hear a word from our sponsor and we'll be right back with Jason. Finding real estate deals can be a challenge, but with the Batch Leads, it doesn't have to be. Batch Leads has created a one-stop solution for all your real estate needs. So you can find more sellers, close more deals, and maximize revenue. Batch Leads offers a comprehensive suite of lead-generating tools that cover text messaging, skip tracing, finding comps, and much more. Batch Leads help you simplify, manage, and organize all your data in one place. Batch will help you stack your lists and identify properties that appear on multiple lists and have multiple distress indicators. These sellers are likely to be highly motivated and eager to sell. Get the most powerful and complete lead generation platform in the industry. Locate sellers, buyers, and lenders nationwide in seconds. Go to batchly.io and use promo code We Love Equity. Are you tired of seeing others becoming successful real estate investors and you just don't know where to start? You see all the Instagram posts of others being successful. You see the Facebook ads guaranteeing instant success. You look at tons of YouTube videos and you even attend seminars just to be tricked into 10, 20, or even $30,000 courses. Well, with the Deal Finders Club, my husband is here to change things for you. Have you said to yourself, I'm deadly afraid to talk to sellers and I have no confidence. I don't know where to find motivated sellers. I don't know where to get a contract from. I don't know how much to offer the seller, let alone where I'm going to get the money from to close the deal. Well, in the Deal Finders Club, Marcus and his partner, Mike, are going to show you how to overcome all those challenges and more. Find out how by going to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. We'll see you inside. Okay, guys, we are back with Jason, and he is from... Well, from New Jersey, but he is in Nashville, Murfreesboro specifically, and he's a multifamily investor syndicator. And before we were before we went to break, Jason, we were talking about the assets and how you find the capital partners. Now, let's talk about how you find the assets, kind of what marketing strategies, what are you guys doing? What relationships are you building in order to find these hundred plus door units? Sure. And so different than the residential spaces, a lot of these properties will go through brokers, but they don't have to necessarily put them out to market, right? So they so they may have just pocket listings that they're getting out there to their network. Right now, because of how aggressive this market has been, most sellers have taken these to a full marketing approach just because of the market that serves so well. So to be in these conversations, you have to start creating relationships with brokers because with brokers, you know, they're a for-profit business, right? They want to make money here. So they want to make sure they can bring you into the opportunity that you can close, right? So right. you want to talk to them, even if you have it, because they want to have certainty of who you are and that you're going to show up. So I found that our early stages were just creating relationships with, with investors or with brokers. And then if they would send us properties, even if they didn't work, we didn't go silent on them. We would respond back why they didn't work, what we didn't like about the property, right? And give them feedback about what we were looking for going forward. And we would continue this process because I hear from brokers all the time that they'll, you know, they'll talk to 30 investors a day and they'll, they'll never hear back from 20 miles. Right. Right. So So let me so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Jason. Sorry to cut you off because I want to make sure that people understand. So when you transitioned, how did you build those relationships with those brokers when you transitioned from fixing and flipping and single family? And now you're saying, okay, now I want to buy a 94 unit building. How did you initially have those conversations with those brokers? Because you really don't have a proven track record to close. So how did you, how were you able to, you know, show evidence that you're willing to perform? Sure. So the very strong part is being specific with what you're looking for. Because if you're, say you're a multifamily broker and I just pick up the phone and say, Hey, Jason, Hey, I'm looking to buy multifamily properties. You're like, okay, is that right? Is that a two unit? Is that a hundred unit? Is that a 1950 building? Is that new construction? Is that a condo building? Because, and like, well, I don't know. They're going to say, well, okay, well, when you do, why don't you call it back? Or they'll just send you everything, which isn't going to fit your part, 
But I always say, hey, Marcus, you know, thanks so much for talking to me. So, you know, we're moving into the multifamily space. We're looking for 50 to 100, 100 unit assets here in Louisville, Kentucky. We want to be BC assets, really built between 1970 and 2000, really focused on the South Central Southmark. That's what we really like. And we're trying to keep our purchase price between about two and $6 million. So if you have any opportunities in front of you right now, um, we'd love to discuss and love to take a look. You know, we'll go into the market. We're working with this management company, right? So we will show proof that we're doing the work, that we're not just gotcha. calling them up out of the book and just saying, hey, you know, I guess I heard about multi-coin companies today. What do you have? Right. You know, we're talking and now we've already made relationships with property management. We'll manage these properties. They're local there. We've now started to talk, right? That will be a lead way for them to know that you're serious okay. because you put in the work beforehand and you're not just calling them up and say, hey, Marcus, want to buy multi-family property? Send me everything you got. Because then you don't even know, you know, like it's like, it's like imagine like, hey, today I want to buy a car. What type of car? I don't know. Well, okay. Well, right. But okay. You know, because your reticular activator sets in, right? Because if you say, hey, I want to buy a blue Chevy Tahoe, what would happen? You start seeing them start all over them. Yep. everywhere, right? Are there more? No, but you start recognizing the same thing with multifamily properties. Because if I do that, I can tell the broker, but I can also tell my network. And then everybody can start helping me. Instead of me trying to find a multifamily property, I can help to tell them what to do so they can bring me back exactly what I want to find, right? Wow. And so everybody starts helping. So we find... 70, 80% come from brokers, whether it's on or off market. Then we have our network, right? So we found deals through property managers, literally from walking next door to a property from which I own next door, direct the seller marketing, usually fills at about the 30, 30% of the right Okay. There. Okay. So once again, it's educating you being specific, knowing exactly what you yeah. want and you communicate that to the broker. So as far as the property management side of it, how did you find those property managers? Was it just looking at, you know, properties that's under management by that, by that property manager and say, okay, well, can you fulfill this need that we're looking for? Or was it word of mouth through relationships? So Everything and everything at all. So what we'll do is we'll ask for referrals. And you get to a point, if you, if you find a good relationship with someone and you like them, you ask them for a referral, right? So say I find a, you know, I find a broker and say, hey, do you have any property managers that you know, manage very well these assets? If you talk to the property manager, say, hey, are there any bankers you're working with in the town that, that fund a lot of these projects? If you're talking to a banker, like, hey, is there any insurance companies that do a lot, right? So you continue to grow your network. If you, gotcha. find, if you find a good relationship, it can help you to more and to expand your network. And it also gives you proof case to go to that person who you want to talk to now. And on the same front, they've already worked well together because that's why we're referring each other. So it's going to make your flow of communication easier as well. So we'll look, if we're in the market, we're going to say, oh, what are some of the properties like we're trying to buy? Oh, okay, this property looks horrible. So I probably don't want that management company, but this property looks like it's very well maintained. Maybe I'll call them up. I'll go, I went on to say, take bigger pockets. I would go in the forum and say like, hey, who's apartment investors? Like, who are you using for your properties? I would ask the brokers, like, hey, do you have any recommendations for property managers, right? That, okay. that on this point would really serve the property. And I would get recommendations. And then I would go to the property managers and have conversations. I would say, how many units are you managing, right? And so if they're only managing 100 units, I'm going to try and buy 100, you know, 100 unit apartment building. They're not going to be right for me because they're basically going to, have to double their business just to keep up right, with me. Right. I want to be that they have 5,000 units and I become just a speed bump that they just, okay, here we go, right? And they're focused on workforce housing. I don't want someone who's focused only on single families or someone who's focused on new construction. I, I want people who are focused on workforce housing so they know how to manage my properties. I, have, I want them to have some kind of construction element so everything doesn't have to be a call or take longer. I want to have real-time reporting that they're not like faxing me reports every month. I want to have like, right. go with, like you know, Yardy or rent, rent manager, mm -hmm. something like if I want to go on Sunday night and be like, what is my, you know, collections this week? I right. can go the book, right? And so having those elements, those are usually hurdles that I would put out there as, as fewer questions to see if they're just going to fit. And the easy thing too is that if you talk to a property management company and you both realize you're not going to work, right? They, they're all single family homes and you want hundred, you know, Hey, do you know anybody who's better suited for that type? Just ask them. Absolutely. And that's in any conversation. And this is kind of what I try and teach people and, and talk to them about is in any conversation, you always want to try and give something 
You want to be able to give a referral and you want to be able to receive a referral. That's how you build up that network. So at the end of the conversation, it's, you know, who do you know that I need to know? Who is somebody that I need to be connected to that, you know, something like that. So and really, that's how I ended up meeting Bill. So. (laughs) Yep. So. All right, Jason, kind of kind of wrapping up here, man, because I want to honor your time. So what are all the team members that you need in order to build a successful multifamily business? So let's just say if you're transitioning from single families over to multifamilies like you did when you're starting, you're disposing of all your your single families and you're saying, okay, well, I want to start with a 50 unit multifamily. What should I do? What should someone do in order to, to what are the next steps? Sure. So first part is, you know, get a podcast like this and, and listen to how other people are doing it, right? Because everybody's done it already. So why not just follow that and trying to re, re, you know, fix the, remake the wheel, right? So when you think about it from a multifamily perspective, the first couple opportunities were just Peely and I are investors. And although that sounds good, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of hats, right? So there's the, there's the deal finder. Right. And so these are hats that you may be wearing all yourself, or you have to find partners if there's if they're not your course trip. There's a deal finder, there's underwriting, there's due diligence, there's asset management, there's now capital raising and investor relations, right? So there, there's finding loans and structuring the deal, right? Those are all parts that you have to do as yourself or your internal team. So we now are taking off an underwriter, have investor relations, have an acquisition person, right? but we didn't have that before. So we were doing all those, but it sounds good. However, okay, we got more of the deal, but we were actually limited on what we can do. If I'm out there looking for deals, I'm not structured on the current project I have. So I'm talking to lenders, I'm not out there talking to investors. If I'm working with investors and investor relations, I'm not doing due diligence, right? So you, there's only so much of us to go around. So we wanna understand how we can continue to grow. And as we continue to scale, we brought on more people. So that's our internal team. Your external team is going to be your brokers, your property managers, your insurance people, your construction managers, your cost segregation people, right? Your vendors, your contracts like laundry and cable, right? Other contracts. Those are going to be your external partners. And you're going to have them in each market, right? So you are going to continue to work on the assets and how you can have a business plan, right? And you want to find source, put in a contract, close on those properties. However, you have to have a team that can implement it. Remember, like I live here locally where I have some assets now, but before I was a thousand miles away. So I could have the best idea ever, but if I don't have the right team on the ground doing work, then it's all off, right? So you want to say, how can I empower others and put them in the best position so they can win with my team, right? So first thing to do is get out there and just understand that it's language is crosses over from single family to multi-family, but it's used differently. Right. So, okay. so we go from like returns to like cap rates, IRRs, right, to hold periods, right, to different debt structures, right, to different loan structures, to different documents. That instead of you know having a lot of debt partners like you might have in a single family space, you're going to bring on equity partners. There's really different ways to structure. Okay. Those. So get in front of them, learn terms so you can more talk the talk, and then get out there, expand your network, find people who are doing it, and see if your market seems to make sense. Or if you need to invest that out of state, you know, I was in New York City and New Jersey. It didn't make sense for us to invest in, right? So we started looking at other markets like Kentucky and Tennessee and Georgia that started to make more sense. Okay, perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, and with the changes in the market right now, Jason, are you guys seeing any, are you guys doing anything to get ahead of, of the changes or is it status quo? as normal right now in the multifamily space? You know, we're, we're always in a time of space, so we're constantly adapting to what's happening. So before, when, when loan, loan terms were very strong, there's a lot of lenders out there, a lot of lenders competing. Right now, some lenders have stepped back because of just all the, the flux, flux right. in the market right now. So especially in the bridge space, a lot of people which are like hard money loans and for, for, uh, for, for multifamily properties, a lot of them are sitting on the sidelines because things are changing so rapidly that they don't want to go in there and commit to a loan and they can't be able to go through with it based on Mm -hmm. changes, right? So you're thinking about how you can put your investors in the best position to win in this market. And that's having loan options that give us flexibility to make good decisions in the future, right? Because, you know, think about a year year ago to where we are today, to where we could be in a year from now. 
So we want the best flexibility to be able to control our choices in the future. We don't want to put on loan structures right now. They're going to put our back against the wall in, in 18 months where we have to make a decision and the market might not be for us, right? Gotcha. The thing that's empowering right now is that although inflation is going up, multifamily properties are very well served to adapt to inflationary environments, right? So we have, we have very short-term leases, year leases that are expired throughout okay. the year. We can change rental prices as needed. Inflation actually helps our buildings be worth more because it costs more to put them back in place, right? So there's a lot of drivers and we're seeing, and I think right now, you know, the average rental growth is like 15% right now across the market. And so we've seen that in our areas where in path of Argus areas that have a lot of jobs, have a lot of job diversity. We're just going to continue to look in strong markets that have a very strong backbone and make sure we have loans that can suit our properties to give us the best opportunity to adapt in the short term or far term. Perfect. Perfect. And then when you're acquiring these properties, Jason, are you, I know you're looking for deferred maintenance, deferred assets as far as the turnover. And I know this is a very broad question. So, you know, it's different from, you know, if you're turning over 10 units versus turning over 50 units, what is normally like that turnover structure for you guys? So are you, you know, that lease is up and now you're not renewing that lease and you're just going in doing a rehab or kind of what what is that turnover process for you guys? Yeah, so it, it's a it's a we don't have a blanket answer for that. It's going to depend on the property in the whole period. But if we're looking at a five year horizon, we're trying to turn most properties between twelve and eighteen months. And okay. so depending on the loan we have, we may try to safeguard occupancy by basically renewing at a lower rate some good tenants who paid always pay on time or not too far under and say say we have two hundred hour rent bumps that we're going to achieve with our upgrades maybe. We'll do $100 upgrades or $100 renewals for people that are coming in, right? That have been good tenants. We'll do them on six month leases here and say, hey, listen, it's $100. We're actually going to increase the other ones up to 200 here. But you've been a good tenant. We'd love to keep you on, right? And then the ones who have not are either going to move out or have just been, you know, permanently poor performers, we will not renew them. We'll go in there and renovate those units and then we'll bring them back up to market rate. And so it will help us stay on the income. Right, not have a huge capex effect all the time. So we want to try and keep ourselves at eighty-five percent and up throughout this transition period, depending if the property is, you know, not a very, very distressed property. And then that helps us hedge, keep money coming in the door while we have time to renovate units gotcha. online. So you know, perfect world, we never want to be one hundred percent occupied. You know, that means you're differentiated to those. We're really trying to find that ninety-five percent sweet spot right there that can push us right. And then that gives us the ability to have money coming while we can have time to turn the units, get it flowing, make sure our marketing and leasing is kicking in, and then let the ball roll. Because by the time you're through those six months, say you're doing five units a month, that's like coming up about 30 units. Then as though some of those short-term renewals start turning over, now you can start picking up through those too. Okay, perfect, perfect. Man, that's key what you said. You said you never want to be 100% occupied because that means that your rents are too low. Man, I like that. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, Jason. So we are going to put you on the hot seat, man. Thank you for all of the questions that you answered. I always like to ask open-ended questions and let, let our guests just go at it because that way you really get to the nuts and bolts and the foundation of what they're doing. So let's put Jason on the hot seat, guys. Jason. Starting over, man, what would you do differently? You know what I, what I say here is that I, I, I will always wish we could go back, but the question wouldn't benefit me because even if I could tell my younger self what I was doing today, I wouldn't be ready for that conversation. So I wouldn't have impacted, right? I needed those lessons no matter how hard to build where I am today. So going differently is like, I would constantly be asking more questions. If there's anything I could do, I, I can't say I, my path would change, but I find that every time... I'm not where I want to be. It's because I'm not asking the right questions to get to the right answers. And sometimes you need to ask questions to under, uncover the answer, but the question you want to ask, right? Because most of our failures is that we don't know the right question to ask to get the answer, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And so a lot of that has been just discovering the right question that needs to be asked to find the result that's needed. Okay, perfect, perfect. So I'm going to throw three numbers at you, Jason, and you, you tell us the significance of these numbers. Four, three, two. <laughs> sure. So I get up early. It's been one of the most impactful things going from working at four, five, six a.m. to now getting up at four or five. You know, our goal is I get up at four thirty-two a.m. and I make it specific like that because four, three, two, one, right? Four thirty-two a.m. Four, three, two, one. Just get up. 
you finally want your up your up. And my best time is in the morning because I want, again, you know, we talked earlier, we want to have time to control our day, to spend our time appropriate with our kids. But if I'm just going to work all this time, right, getting back to the small business part, then it's not going to be beneficial for me or my family. However, we do need to still have our time for ourselves. So we'll get up, I'll do the deep work in the morning here, where I'll work out, I'll meditate, I'll have my moment for myself to allow myself to be in control of what I can control. So when the family gets up, I can spend time with them without worrying about all the other things I haven't allowed myself to have the time for. Okay, perfect, perfect. So 432, guys, get up. <laughs> get up. You find once you're up, you're up. You know, the hardest thing is just get out of bed. But you don't yeah. want to defeat yourself, hit the snooze button, and just like, you know, we, if you think about like when you were a kid, the parents just get us up, we had to go. We didn't have like 10 choices to get up. Right, right. right. Now there's nobody there to say, hey, get out of bed. Like, don't eat that. Like, you think of anything, right? We can just make our own choices. And that's yeah. why some people don't discipline themselves. And that's the, the easiest thing to do is the hardest thing to do, right? Yep. And, and, and so the, e the more easy things we can do that seem hard, the better life will Yeah, and, and I'm a 5 a.m. guy. And go. the hardest part was really just, like you said, the discipline. Once you start doing it consistently, now even when you want to stay in bed immediately at 5 o'clock, I'm like, okay, I'm up. My wife is like, what are you doing up? And, you know, it's yeah. a Sunday morning. You have nothing to do on. I'm like, well, my body's just trained to get up That's at 5 a.m. Right. So it's, it's that discipline. Discipline in the doing is very important. What is one characteristic you believe every high producing investor should have? Characteristic that every high producing investor must have perseverance. Okay. Honestly, it's the easiest thing to not do is just say, oh, someone else is more lucky or someone else has more time or someone else has more money or someone else was in the right place or had the right family or the right education. But Anybody can do what they want. They just have to take the time to get there. And unfortunately, social media makes it like everything happens overnight, yep. but it doesn't. But if you stick through it, you will find your way to where it is, right? Or you're going to find where you shouldn't be going and you have to make the choice to turn in the right direction and get where you should be going. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Jason, give us a good book recommendation. I know you're a disciplined guy, man. What kind of books are you reading? Oh man, I'm always... Always read good things. I just read a, what was it called? Uh, 12 and a Half by Gary Vee. That was pretty good. I just read that. It's always the last book I read. So I, I read 12 and a Half by Gary Vee. Just talks about a lot of our characteristics and a lot of emotions that, that we don't think about and how sometimes we're just not strong in certain emotions, right? And that's fine. And it's understanding where our weaknesses and our strengths are, right? And how we can help others and understand where they need as well. And then I read, uh, don't, don't, don't eat the mar marshmallow yet. I just read that. That was good. Okay. By the parable is an interesting book. I'm reading meditation right now. That's always a good one. So some of those just set the narrative between mindset and business to just help you understand that, that no matter what's that, someone has been there before. And when you can see how others have dealt with it, it just, it makes it easier for you to take the steps, knowing that not every day is going to be perfect, but, it, but would you want it to be? Because if it was perfect, then you would find another reason why it wasn't right, perfect. Right, right. So we, we use it, it's like if the sun never came up, we wouldn't care, right? And now the sun comes up, we're like, oh, it's a dark day out. But then when the sun's here, you're not going to appreciate it more. Right? Exactly, exactly. Okay, great, great. One thing that you had you had mentioned that I wanted to share with everybody is, again, getting up at that 4.32 and then in my case at five o'clock, that's my first decision for the day. Yes. And normally that first decision will kind of channel that energy for the day. So if you don't make that decision, then you'll find yourself throughout the day being indecisive in other areas of your life. So just Get up, make the decision. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Have that level of integrity. So Jason, man, last, tell us, how can we find you? What are you doing? What are you working on? I know about Seven Figure Multifamily. If you want to share with the people sure, about that, you. kind of let us know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just piggybacking on what you just said. You know, it's like, if you see easy, you'll have a hard life. If you, if you go and, and go through hard, you'll have an easy life, right? And so if you think about it in those terms, it, it helps set the stage on what's possible out there. But really great conversation. Thank you for, for having me on here. You can come find more about us or company at yabrusiholdings.com. You can find more about our multifamily mastermind, including with partnership with Bill Allen here at seven, the number seven, figuremultifamily.com. You can find that on the Rusi Holdings website as well. And yeah, we'd love to talk to you.
All right. Perfect. Perfect. So now, Jason, in parting, man, give us some words of encouragement for those who are just kind of stuck or don't know if this is the right path for them. You know, just kind of give us give us some words of encouragement. Sure. If, if you don't know if this is right for you, thinking about it is not going to help you to that decision. Get out there and try anything. Get on there, connect with another person. You are not going to look stupid. You're there to learn. We, we put our spots as we grow older that we think we're going to look silly if we ask questions. So nobody raises your hand. Get out there and go. If someone you see someone working on a house, go stop and ask them questions about it. Or if you see someone here who's talking about this, reach out to them and ask them a question about it because you need to take action to un- uncover if this is the direction you want to go. Because probably if you're here listening to the show, that you probably have an interest. Right. That's why you're here. Right. That's why you listen to us talk for an hour. Right. So go and take action. The results are not going to come from thinking about it. Right. We can manifest what we want, but the action has to be taken to give what we deserve to have. Absolutely. So, Jason, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for taking an hour out of your day. I know that this was a wealth of information for the We Love Equity listeners. Man, if there's anything that I can do in the future to help you, to support you, please let me know. So guys, there you go. There you have it. We want to thank Jason again for being here. And you all know what to do. Get out there, take massive action and enjoy your day. All right, guys, that was Jason Yerusi out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. It was really inspirational to me. One thing I want you guys to be able to glean from that and get from that is, you know, you have to get out there and go beyond those limitations. You have to say, this is something that I want to do. No matter what comes up, I'm going to strive in order to accomplish what I set out to do. One of the problems that I had was the discipline and making sound decisions. It it was not just making the decision, but sometimes it would take me too long to make a decision. And I love that four, three, two analogy as far as he wakes up at 432, because it's four, three, two, one, get up and start and go. And That's what you all have to do sometimes is you just have to get up and you have to make the decision of this is what I'm going to do. And no matter the heartache, no matter the pain that I go through, I'm going to endure to the end so I can see the results of my hard work and my effort. And and I, I tell this not only to you, but I tell this to myself as well, because at point there's times where I know that there's a decision that needs to be made. I make the decision, but sometimes I prolong it. And I look back and I say, wow, if I would have made this decision six months earlier, you know, these few things would have happened instead of, you know, the, the opposite. So get out there, make the decision, get going, move in the right direction. I can definitely help you with that. Again, me and my partner, Mike Del Preet, we started the Deal Finders Club, which helped those who have never done a deal or you're, they're transitioning from finding flip opportunities on market to doing some off-market marketing. So if you want to inquire more about that, you can always go to MarcusEmaloney.com. And at the top left, you will see Deal Finders Club. We work with a small, intimate group of individuals, and we walk you through the entire process. Again, it's 20 years of experience in finding deals, finding opportunities. If it's small multifamily, single family, your next fix and flip property, if you're looking to wholesale, we can definitely help you with that. And it's only $1,200, and it's a year commitment. So you have us for a whole year to help you with your marketing, to help you with your strategies, to help you talk with sellers, to help you negotiate, to help you run your ARV on your on your properties, everything like that. So check it out. Again, it's nothing that we absolutely have to do, but it's something that we want to do for you all because a lot of people reach out to Mike and I and say, how can we work directly with you? And this is the opportunity that we want to present to you. So again, go to MarcusEmaloney.com. And guys, you know what to do. Always, always, always enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney. 
Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.